Now, if I asked you to name some of the characters of the Bible, then I'm pretty sure that between us, we'd name quite a few. Now, before I ask you to do that, though, let's just remember that all those that we do name in a moment, all of those, and all of those that we don't, they're in the Bible for a reason. They're there because God counted them to be important to be there. They're named so that we've got a complete record of all that God wants us to know, so that we can see how God's working, how he's fulfilling his plans, and that that's, he's fulfilling them through all of his people. Some characters don't get much of a mention in the Bible, but some have a whole book. Even some have two books uh, with their name on them, uh, so they contain quite a lot of detail. With some, the influence they've had is obvious, but whoever they are, whether they're big names or small, they are all a part of God's plan, not just an incidental character mentioned as part of someone else's story. They're included in the Bible for a reason. So, I gave you a warning. Let's name a few Bible characters. If you're at home, just give it a moment to to think about Bible characters that you know. Um, So anybody here, shout out a name. I'll repeat it so that we all know uh, who's been suggested. So, Bible characters. Matthew. Matthew. Elijah. Samuel. Samuel. Oh, you're cheating. You know the subject today. (laughs) Jesus. Jesus. Moses. Moses, and who was that? Jonah. Jonah. Rahab. Rahab. Who was that? Abigail. Yeah. David. Esther. Esther. Haggai. Haggai. Yeah, we're trying to find some obscure ones now, aren't we? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, someone said to me once, when you go to heaven and somebody says to you, did you read my book? You say, well, who are you? Haggai. You know, (laughs) no, I didn't actually, not that much, yeah. But uh, most of those that we called out are pretty familiar names, aren't they? There's Jeremiah, there's Isaiah, there's Joseph, there's Saul, there's David, you know, Isaac, Abraham, there's so many, and as we've already said, many others that uh, are lesser known. Most of the people that we do preach on, we preach on quite often, don't we? We tend to pick on those bigger stories. We might have learnt them in Sunday school or at school, uh, and that's why they come to mind perhaps a bit more readily. We know at least some uh, of what they did and the influence they had. We know at least a part of their story. And because they had an impact, that is, God used them in mighty ways. So let me ask you a few more questions. And there's no prizes for this. In fact, I'm not even expecting you to know the answers, although I'd be really impressed if you do. Who taught Martin Luther his theology? and inspired him to translate the scriptures from Latin into German? God. God. Well, (laughs) who taught Martha, sorry, who uh, was the elderly lady who prayed for Billy Graham every day of her adult life? Who was the wife of Charles Haddon Spurgeon, the great preacher, uh, or who developed Charles Wesley's love of music and encouraged him to write more than 5,000 hymns? Sometimes we know the main characters, but not so often those who are behind them. So don't worry if you don't know their names, but remember that God does. He knows each one of them, and they're just as precious to him as those big names that we mentioned. So as I said earlier, we're starting a new series today with that catchy title, Minor Stories, Major Impact. 
Uh, it's got a pretty bold template for any slides that we use. And that's going to be used throughout the series. My message this morning is in two halves, and it is pretty much two halves, actually, not just two parts. An introduction to the series, uh, and then to open the series, a brief look at Samuel and his early life. Now, if I go back to those second set of questions that I just asked, I could turn some of those around. What if nobody had witnessed to Martin Luther and inspired him? What if the elderly lady hadn't prayed daily for Billy Graham? And what if nobody had nurtured Charles Wesley's music career? There was no X Factor in those days, even though it might have seemed to have been running for that long. Yeah, we wouldn't have many of those hymns that we have today. There are so many people who are up front, who get on with things without seeking to be noticed. They do great work thanks to their God-given skills and their years of experience. They fill significant roles and contribute greatly to accomplishing really important tasks. And all the time they remain in the background, often anonymous. Others might not know what they do. They may not be well known, but they're not insignificant. They might be overlooked in public, but in private they fill roles that are invaluable. And whatever task they do, they make an impact, often bigger than they realise. It might be a step on the journey for those they minister to. We should take nothing for granted and no one for granted. God takes what we offer, however small, and he weaves it into that tapestry of the lives that we touch. Let me just give a small example. Being in the kitchen, making drinks, means that people can stay and chat after a service. And in those conversations, new friendships, new relationships are built. Problems are shared, people are prayed with, and encouragement is given. Without that opportunity to have a drink together, some would likely leave, perhaps carrying a burden or an unanswered question, and so perhaps not reaching that full potential that God has for them. There are those who serve in our Sunday school, teaching our children, who we pray will come to follow God as they become old enough to make decisions for themselves. I can still remember a few of my Sunday school teachers and they're the ones I remember that took time to invest in me. Not just pulled me on the side to tell me off, but (laughs) told me why I was wrong as well, probably. But last week, two of my grandchildren, Esme and Isaac, they led a significant part of this service. Now, apart from their parents and grandparents, many others have invested in them week by week, often unseen. Esme and Isaac won't forget last week and God won't forget those who have and continue to invest in them and all of our children and youth. There are brigades helping our children to have fun and develop in a Christian environment. Those who work with our youth, those who drive the minibus for sunny days and our discipleship group leaders who faithfully lead and support their groups. There are so many things going on. If you throw the net just a bit wider... Who cuts the grass outside? Who repairs things in the building when they go wrong? Who makes the buildings fit for purpose, able and clean for us to use? Without all these things and many more, we wouldn't be able to function as we do. 
And of course, just to get everything ready for this morning, there's a team who come in about an hour and a half earlier. Yeah, that's half past eight on a Sunday morning. They're in here to set up mics, run and tape down uh, all the wires to test speakers, to set up cameras, check everything's working, all that sort of stuff. And then others come in a day or two before and they arrange flowers, they set out chairs and all those things. Some of those people we see and know. Quite a few we don't. It's a bit like a team behind a big surgeon, a well-known surgeon. He or she couldn't do what they do without the support team behind them. Or the team behind the pilot who actually flies you to your destination. You wouldn't be able to do that without the baggage handlers, the checking staff, the security staff and so on. I think the recent pandemic has highlighted key and essential workers. We all know what happens when you run out of toilet rolls or queuing for petrol. We're all important to God. We're all significant. What would it be like if somebody comes to church for the first time and they sat down and nobody spoke to them? Welcoming them, hospitality is a gift. God knows what he's doing. We don't all have the same calling, the same job, the same skills or the same ability to serve. God puts us together to make us one. And in the series, we're going to be looking at some of what we might call the minor stories in the Bible to see what major impact they had. It's so important for us to recognise that when God asks or calls each one of us to do something, it's for a reason. It's going to impact someone. And when you fulfil that call, it's very likely to impact you as well. Now, King David's story started when he killed Goliath. But Saul remained king for another decade, all the time becoming more jealous and wanting to see David dead. But God had other plans. There was a lot going on quietly in the background over those 10 years and towards the end of David's life, scripture records a number of those who'd supported him. I can't possibly read them all, not just because there are so many, but because if I tried, I'd spend the rest of my time trying to pronounce all their names. There are two on there I remember, particularly Uriah and Jonathan. But apart from that, um, yeah, there's a lot of difficult names there. There's a list of 37 names. There's in, that's in 2 Samuel 23. A list of 37 people, most of whom we haven't heard of. But without David, oh, sorry, without them, David wouldn't have become king. These men didn't fight for David in order for them to gain fame, wealth or even a prominent position in his government. They served him because they loved him. And then David gave praise to the nobodies. He recognised their God-given contributions and the parts they played in him becoming king. It was possible for David to fulfil his anointing only because others fulfilled their calling. And I'm reminded that in a couple of weeks' time we'll be remembering those who fell in the wars for our freedom today. Just a few years ago, I visited the fields of Flanders in Belgium. Many graves named, but many aren't. Men who gave their lives for us today. I was greatly moved when I went to the the Menin Gate where every day the fallen are remembered by the people of Ypres at eight o'clock in the evening. The traffic stops 
and the last post is played. It might be 10 minutes, it might be half an hour, depending how many people are visiting and laying wreaths. We know little about many of those men, but they gave their lives to change the world. So very briefly turning to the New Testament before we turn to think about young Samuel. Now, I'm not going to read that, but it's just there for reference. But Paul is imprisoned in Jerusalem and a plot is put together to kill him. But Paul's nephew hears about it. He tells Paul, who in turn tells his guards. So Paul is kept safe from an ambush and then he's transferred to Caesarea and then on to Rome. We don't even know the name of Paul's nephew. He's unknown, but hugely significant. He had a particular role to play. And if he hadn't played that role, then Paul wouldn't have got to Rome. And we wouldn't have had his letters to the Ephesians, to the Philippians or the Colossians, or his personal letters to Timothy or to Titus. Paul's nephew's story was a minor one, but it had a major impact. So I'll come to the end, or coming towards the end of this long introduction to the series, but success in the kingdom of God and in local church depends on the faithful people of whom others are often unaware. Although I must add, just in case you think it all relies on people, that it's the sovereignty of God and his faithfulness that builds his church. We have to be willing to take on those servant roles, serving him, fulfilling all he calls us to be, both in the spotlight and in the shadows, up front and in the back room, sometimes slogging, always serving. We're his hands, his feet, and always his servants. Whatever God calls us to, if we fulfil that calling, God will make the impact he will make it count. I've often been in this building alone. It's not very exciting as a building. No special lighting, no sound, no worship, no prayer, no laughter, no one to keep you company or to offer a word of encouragement. It comes alive because all who gather come here to worship God, to serve each other, to offer up prayers, to bring encouragement and share friendship. We thrive because we join arms. Well, metaphorically we do, we can't at the moment, but otherwise we normally would. And we move forward together and in humility towards the goals we believe God wants us to pursue. Now, from the vantage point of heaven, we may think we're just mere specks, tiny, but each one of us is a speck that Jesus valued enough to die for. There are no nobodies on this earth or in this church. We're not significant because of fame, fortune or publicity, but because God said so. So that's why we're looking at some lesser known stories or characters from the Bible, or perhaps taking a slightly different look at some of the well-known ones in the coming weeks. To learn from what God did in their lives, how their obedience shaped others, and to help us realise how important we are as a part of God's ongoing story. So we're starting with Samuel, as has already been said. He's got two books in the Bible with his name on. So I, this has gone slightly out of sync. Sorry about that. I can't see it up there. I normally can. <laughs> um, so he's got two books um, in the Bible with his name on. 
but we're just looking at the story of when he was about seven years old. Before I read it, it would be helpful to us to understand a bit more about that wider setting. It's not just about God talking to a young boy in bed, who then has to go and carry God's message of judgment onto high priest and his family. Over the last couple of hundred years or so, there's been intermittent warfare, cycles of invasion and famine, followed by a judge emerging and winning a temporary peace. But then the cycle repeats again. During the peace, the the people start turning away. Another invasion follows. Another defeat. Another famine. Each time more severe. So as we pick up Samuel's story, the people of Israel, they settled into a lax and comfortable lifestyle. They become indifferent toward God and his vision for them as a nation. And their leader, Eli, the high priest, is elderly. And unless something changes, he'd naturally hand over to his sons, Hophni and Phinehas, who were both rebellious and dishonest. There's a little bit more to the setting. Samuel's mum, Hannah. She'd been a regular visitor to the temple where she spent most of her time in prayer, begging God for the gift of a son. During that time, she vowed to give her child back to God if he granted her request. It's a bold promise, as any mother would know. But she kept it. And once Samuel had been weaned, she handed her baby over to Eli, the elderly priest with poor eyesight and two delinquent sons. She must have been putting her trust in God as she handed him over. There's not a lot else said about Hannah, but hers is a relatively minor story that has a major impact. She fulfilled her vow to God, and by doing so, Samuel was set aside for God's purposes. So I'm just going to read the beginning of 1 Samuel chapter 3. It says, The boy Samuel ministered before the Lord under Eli. In those days, the word of the Lord was rare. There were not many visions. One night, Eli, whose eyes were becoming so weak he could hardly see, was lying down in his usual place. The lamp of God had not yet gone out, and Samuel was lying down in the house of the Lord, where the ark of God was. Then the Lord called Samuel. Samuel answered, Here I am. And he ran to Eli and said, Here I am, you called me. But Eli said, I didn't call, go back and lie down. So he went and lay down. Again, the Lord called Samuel, and Samuel got up and went to Eli and said, Here I am, you called me. My son Eli said, I didn't call. Go back and lie down. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord. The word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. A third time the Lord called Samuel and Samuel got up and went to Eli and said, Here I am, you called me. Then Eli realised that the Lord was calling the boy. So Eli told Samuel, Go and lie down. If he calls you, say, Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. The Lord came and stood there, calling as at the other time, Samuel, Samuel. Then Samuel said, speak, for your servant is listening. And the Lord said to Samuel, see, I'm about to do something in Israel that will make the ears of everyone who hears about it tingle. It's a great expression, isn't it? 
At that time, I will carry out against Eli everything I spoke against his family from beginning to end, for I told him that I would judge his family forever because of a sin he knew about. His sons blasphemed God and he failed to restrain them. Therefore, I swore to the house of Eli, the guilt of Eli's house will never be atoned for by sacrifice or offering. Samuel lay down until morning and then opened the doors of the house of the Lord. I wonder what his job was, you know, sounds like the bouncer, doesn't he? Security, seven years old. Um, he was afraid to tell Eli the vision, but Eli called him and said, Samuel, my son. Samuel answered, here I am. What was it he said to you? Eli asked. Do not hide it from me. May God deal with you, be it ever so severely, if you hide from me anything he told you. So Samuel told him everything, hiding nothing from him. Then Eli said, he's the Lord. Let him do what is good in his eyes. As I said, Israel is, in modern terms, just jogging along, swimming with the tide. They're in one of those lazy rivers in a rubber ring, as it were, just being carried along with the pool. But the story changes as God speaks to a seven-year-old. Perhaps it's particularly poignant to me with Isaac being six and Esme eight and knowing they're not always quite as well behaved as they were last Sunday, but perhaps Samuel was. We don't always know from scripture whether God's voice is audible or not. But when he spoke to Samuel, it would seem that he spoke with the voice of a normal Hebrew man. Otherwise, why would Samuel have thought it was Eli calling Let's go back to that opening verse. The boy Samuel ministered before the Lord under Eli. In those days, the word of the Lord was rare. There were not many visions. We don't know exactly how Samuel ministered at such a young age, but it does seem that Eli had risen to his responsibility of being a father figure this time round. As an aside, I can only imagine how much Samuel's mum, Hannah, must have been praying for him every day. There's another background story similar to that of the lady mentioned at the beginning who prayed every day for Billy Graham. Samuel ministered, but it says in verse 7, Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord. The word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. We know the whole story of Samuel. But at this stage, it would seem that Samuel didn't have a personal relationship with God. Everything he knew about God, he'd been taught by Eli. Look again, back at verse 1 there. In those days, the word of the Lord was rare. There were not many visions. It hadn't happened to Samuel. He was confused as well as inexperienced. And so he ran to Eli. Now, we have to be fair to Eli Although he perhaps failed to be a good father to his sons, he was still open to hear God. And although God had rarely spoken in recent times, he did discern that it was God who was speaking to Samuel. He didn't dismiss it as a young boy's fantasy. Sometimes it's easy for us to read over the story, as it were, and not think about the reality of the situation. It's the middle of the night. Samuel is sleeping in the tabernacle close to the lamp that has to be kept burning. 
It would likely have been one of his responsibilities to keep that light burning, to refill it in the night if it was running out. Eli is not too far away, but he's sleeping in another room somewhere nearby. When I thought about that scenario, I immediately thought of a couple of ornaments that I have at home. Now, I know they're clowns, and I'm not implying that either Eli or Samuel was a clown. (laughs) Likewise, I know that Samuel would have been a bit older than depicted by those ornaments. But it just said to me, it was the middle of the night. You know, two o'clock, three o'clock in the morning. They're sleepy. It's not easy to shake off that sleep always, is it? That state of being half awake when you're not quite sure about reality. I wonder if God, having to call a number of times, was to make sure that Samuel was wide awake, to receive the message, to get it right on that last call so that there'd be no doubt. And for Eli to be clear, you know, God could have spoken directly to Samuel. Samuel listened and then got up in the morning and told Eli. Eli could have said whatever. But, you know, Eli was involved in this as well. He knew that God was speaking. So he knew that when Samuel gave him the message, it was definitely from God. You know, Samuel was a minor, being just seven years old. And this story is right at the beginning of a life led for God. But first, he had to bring that hard message of judgment to Eli and his family which must have been a great burden for him in the middle of the night. I wonder if he got any more sleep that night. Certainly he didn't seem too quick to pass that message on to Eli. Eli had to push him for what God had said to him. And Eli's answer, when he told him, he said, let me see where we are. No, I'm going too far, sorry. No, we are there. Yeah. His answer basically was, he is the Lord. Let him do what is good in his eyes. It was a sort of kesarasara, whatever will be, will be sort of answer. It wasn't the first time Eli had heard that message. In the previous chapter, he was given a similar warning about his wayward sons and his poor parenting. Although we don't have time to look further at Eli, he wasn't always the perfect high priest either. And his reaction does so a sense of indifference. God's patience with Eli had finally come to an end and he was finished talking with Eli. Samuel brought his final word of judgment to Eli and his family and then as he grew, he would go on to finish the era of the judges. He would start the school of the prophets and to anoint Israel's first kings. His obedience from the beginning, from the age of seven, meant that God would use him in Israel's change, their transition from a theocracy to a monarchy. After two or three hundred years of relative silence from God, Israel was moving into a time when God would be speaking through the prophets. One night, the boy Samuel went to bed as usual, but when he got up in the morning, everything started to change for Israel. There was a new future. What if Samuel had turned over and ignored the voice of God, saying, what do I know? I'm only a kid. But he didn't. 
he heard, he listened, he acted. I said earlier that Israel had been in a state of slumber for some time. Well, how appropriate that it was during Samuel's slumber that God spoke. The sleepy indifference of Israel's spiritual drifting came to an end as Samuel woke up from his sleep the next morning. Children often tell it as it is, don't they? I don't know if Samuel fully realised the enormity of the message that God gave him for Eli and the impact it would have had on his own life or the nation of Israel. He simply obeyed by delivering it and then he got on with life. What do we do when we hear from God? When God prompts us through his written word or through a message or a song that we listen to? Or perhaps he simply impresses something on our hearts. Do we push it aside? Do we forget it? Do we have those around us with whom we can test it? We shouldn't ignore it or dismiss it, but rather test it and act. Neither should we be asking God to help us to go where we want to go or to do what we want to do. Instead, we need to make sure that we regularly ask God where or how he wants us to go or serve. And then we need to listen and act. Just to finish, I'm going to repeat just a little of what I said at the beginning. That from the vantage point of heaven, we all may feel as though we're specks, but each one of us is a speck that Jesus valued enough to die for. There are no nobodies on this earth or in this church. We're not made significant through fame or fortune or publicity, but because God said so. And we want to move forward individually and together in humility towards the goals we believe God wants us to pursue. Everything we do for God and with God has an impact. However minor the story might seem, God can multiply and going completely off text for a minute, just remember some of those stories of Jesus, the parable of the mustard seed, the feeding of the 5,000. God can turn the minor into the major. God bless.